Bam 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 Hi everyone, welcome back to Go Help Yourself, the Closet Edition. This is a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, and I'm currently scrunched so tightly in a closet. You're welcome. Uh, on the computer screen across from me is the inimitable Lisa Ooh, Linky. Excellent. And speaking into this uh, remote setup microphone is the inimitable Misty Stinnett. Thank Hello. you. Welcome back on this podcast. And boy. Nope. Nope. Not. I'm just plowing through. <laughs> Do we miss Matt Sav? We miss Matt Sav and Fairfax Village Studios so much. But um, before I start crying, I will just say that this is a podcast where uh, once a week we read and review a popular self-help book. We give you all the highs, the lows, the highlights of information, the key takeaways, what we thought was absolute bullshit about it. We try <laughs> to think critically. We try to have fun banter. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we normally sound a lot more professional, not in content, but in audio quality. <laughs> we never sound professional in content. We are uh, currently, you know, the episodes are on a bit of a lag because we tend to record a few in advance because they are full book reviews and it takes us a while to read each book. And so we are, what is this, Lise? We're about to begin our third week of, of self-isolation? Well, some of us were doing it a little bit before it was prescribed. Yeah. I mean, you and I though. Oh, you and I have never met. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's like fight club, but with podcasts, it's way less dangerous. This is podcast inception. <laughs> Listen, we are, I don't know what day it is. Nobody knows what day it is. Um, but I do believe we are in the, this is like the 10th day f- 13th day? I really truly have no idea. Yeah, for, for for me, this is I think the 15th day. Okay. Of self-isolating. Anyway, the point is by the time you hear this episode, the world could look very different. The coronavirus situation around the world and in America could look very very different, but at the time of this recording, um Things are weird, you guys. Things are weird and wild and rocky, and uh, we're doing that's our why best. we're we're still remote editing. Uh, yeah. Nope. Nope. Remote recording. That's right. And Sav is remote edit. Thank you. That's right. Uh, so thanks for bearing with us during this time, and we're so lucky to be able to to still create content for all of you and still be reading self help books as a mechanism of distraction. Yeah, I know. I just want to say thank you again for those of you who are listening, and I hope that we can provide some solace. And maybe you're finding us two years from now in the post-apocalyptic landscape. Of Ooh, maybe Earth. we're in a capsule floating through space, and Elon <laughs> Musk's frozen body is clutching an old iPhone, and it's paused on this episode. This episode in space. Zoe is coming space. up to say hi. She's so funny. She likes Zoe is Lisa's neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> she and I are not social distancing. That bitch sleeps at the foot of my bed every night. Okay. Yeah. It's her neighbor. I have a doozy yep. for you. What are we what are we reading, talking about, and trying to love today? 
This week, I bring to you, For the Love of Men, A New Vision for Mindful Masculinity by Liz Plank, which came out last year. For Mindful Masculinity. Yeah. Oh, wow. So let's get some details out of the way. It's 336 pages. The hardcover is 1786. <laughs> the Kindle is 11.99 after credits. And the Audible is 25.51 narrated by Liz Plank or one credit, as you know. How's her voice? Have you listened to it? I sure haven't, but I have heard her voice uh, on Instagram and she has a, a voice, you know. Um, I I first became aware of her (laughs) through through Vox, uh, Vox Media and uh, her podcast when she talks about this book with Dak Shepard on his Armchair Expert podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here is about the author from elizabethplank.com, and I will supplement a little bit from Wiki after I read this. So Liz is an award-winning journalist and the executive producer of several critically acclaimed series at Vox Media. She's produced and hosted uh, 2016-ish, which is an award-winning series about the presidential election and presented a TEDx talk, How to Be a Man, A Woman's Guide, which inspired her first book, For the Love of Men. Uh, she's amongst Mediate's most influential in news media and was ranked as one of the 50 most influential women by Marie Claire and was named one of Forbes 30 under 30 in media. She was also just named one of the world's most influential people in gender and policy. She appears on national and Mm-hmm. national and international television programs to provide a perspective on politics, gender issues, and reproductive rights, including the Today Show, The Daily Show, MSNBC, CNN, ABC News, Fusion, Al Jazeera, uh, America, and BBC World. And her feisty commentary got her blocked from the 45th president of the United States on social media. Oh my God, snaps. That's her biggest claim to fame, she says. Through her <laughs> activism and creative approach to journalism, she has made it her mission to elevate the voices of those who are often not heard. Before becoming a journalist, she worked as a researcher and behavioral science consultant at the London School of Economics, from which she holds a master's degree in policy with an emphasis in global gender politics. Wow. Um, She also, from Wiki, she attended McGill University in Montreal, Quebec, studying women's studies and international development for her undergrad. Again, she got her master's degree at the London School of Economics, uh, began writing articles for Huffington Post, and while attending classes, she launched launched a change.org petition that collected more than 55,000 signatures and succeeded in reversing a decision by the Amateur International Boxing Association requiring female boxers to wear skirts while competing at the 2012 London. London Olympic Games. Excuse me? Yeah. They were going to have to box in skirts until she got this change.org petition who, going. Who? I would just love to see pictures of the people who are making these rules. What do they look like? How do they think? What's going on in know. their world, in their mind? Although anyway, I do really like, I do, hold on, side note, uh-huh. I really like in Wonder Woman where Gal Gadot tries on a bunch of other things and she's like, but how do you fight if you're not in a skirt? Because like for her, it's very freedom of movement-y. Um, yeah. So she's basically a gender policy badass. badass. Um, so here are the table of contents. Part one, the lies we tell about men. Um, chapter one, you're not born a man. Chapter two, manhood is never fully earned. It needs to be renewed over and over again. Chapter three, masculinity is under attack. Chapter four, men are slaves to their bodies and their nether regions. Chapter five, men don't need intimacy. Chapter six, male shame. What is it like to feel like you need to prove something you never quite feel like you have? And then part two, uh, I love men. 
Chapter seven, the great, <laughs> the great Suppression. Chapter eight, Bromance. Chapter nine, Waffles Are His Love Language. That's for okay. you. <laughs> Chapter 10, The Man Session. Chapter 11, If Patriarchy is So Great, Why Is It Making You Die? Chapter 12, The Making of Men. Chapter 13, Compassion as the Antidote to Hate. And conclusion, The Case for Mindful Masculinity. Now, in between these chapters are what she calls little amuse-bouches, which are tiny little stories and anecdotes um, of men that she knows or has met to kind of prepare you or sum up the chapter that has just come or is coming um, to kind of take away from some of the policy and um, research aspect and really put like a name and a face to it. Okay. I love that. Let let me ask you a question. Yeah. And it's so interesting. (laughs) I I think it's interesting that I feel compelled to ask this question because it never seems to be something that's asked when it's reversed. So this is clearly a a female-identifying author writing about men and masculinity and all that comes with that. Yeah. Why, you know, like, does does this book need to be written from this perspective is my question. And then think about how many books there are written by men about like about women. even Tyler Perry's how to be a lady think like like act like a lady think like a man da 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 we never ask this question like why are you qualified to be giving that yeah it you is know really this, interesting yeah it's it's really inter- interesting to me how there doesn't seem to be any sort of even question questioning when a, a male author writes something about a woman, like the yep. book we covered, Steve Harvey, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man, which yeah. is a really funny episode. Yeah. Um, but so does this, is this a necessary perspective to write this book from, in your opinion? Well, I will, I will say um, yes. Uh, and as we get to it, uh, because, and I'm going to spend excuse me, a little more time covering the introduction because it really sets the stage and gets you in the mindset of what she's trying to address. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to breeze through some chapters, especially at the end, because this is some very heavy stuff and we're in a very heavy time. And I truthfully, I breezed through the first half of the book and then we hit coronavirus. And I was like, the second half is very challenging um, in terms Got of it. like the heaviness and the heavy nature of um, what, what she's talking about. And I just was like, some days I was like, I can't. And so I will say, yes, it does need to be written from this perspective. And she's, she's really wonderful. Okay. So let's dive in. Uh, an introduction, the quote that she uses, she uses a quote to open every chapter. And the quote to open the introduction is, why don't we say boys will be boys when a man wins the Nobel Peace Prize? <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. That's really so, funny. She starts off bold. She says, there is no greater threat to humankind than our current definitions of masculinity. Agree. Completely agree. She says, when I started talking to men about their own gender, I was dumbfounded. It changed my entire outlook on feminism. I started to wonder why the lies that we tell about masculinity aren't on the first page of every newspaper every single day of the year. For the first time in its history, the American Psychological Association has created a set of explicit guidelines for practitioners treating men and boys. Their report warns therapists about the dangers of what they call, quote, traditional masculinity ideology, quote, negatively impacting men's mental health as well as physical health and well-being. 
Although mm-hmm. the APA has often produced guidelines for therapists dealing with vulnerable populations like women, minorities, or LGBTQ people, they've identified that the falsehoods we've all absorbed about men are putting their own health at risk. Wow. That makes me sad. It does. And she says, this is not just an American problem. It's an international crisis. In China, recently a new term has emerged, um, translated from Mandarin means straight man cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they mean like actual physical cancer? Not metaphorical. I think it's just a. I I think it's no. I don't know. She doesn't go into it, but she says toxic masculinity is an epidemic that knows no borders, and no society has yet found the cure for it. Absolutely. So she talks about how we've spent time and energy examining the negative effect on gender games on girls, but not on boys. Mm -hmm. She says we indoctrinate boys, and it starts early. She says violent men aren't born; they're created. We live in a culture that teaches boys stoicism over authenticity, dominance over empathy, and that if they don't follow their script, someone will take notice and take their, quote, man card away. And under the current circumstances we've set as a culture, it's an uphill battle for boys to find and reveal their true selves. And if they do, it's perceived and noted as a flaw. Whether it's showing sadness or vulnerability, a core part of the human experience, it's corrected with the simple statement underpinning the poisonous ideology we raise them into, boys don't cry. And when they act in horrifying ways, when they hurt, beat, or assault others in a way that goes against the human spirit, what do we say? Boys will be boys. We act as if boys being terrible is inevitable and then act surprised when they fulfill these expectations. She says, the consequences of this indoctrination have perplexed child psychology experts. While girls go on to become more emotionally mature and literate with age and time, boys become emotionally stunted. Male toddlers emote more than girls, but scientists notice an inexplicable drop in the boys' emotional expression starting at the ages of four to six years while it remains steady for young girls. It turns out that while parents encourage girls to fully express themselves, boys don't receive the same treatment. They do not. She says, although very little gets universal consensus among academics, they are effectively unanimous that systematically suppressing one's emotions is one of the most damaging experiences for a human being to endure. And she says, what this, yeah, she says what the scientific community has labeled as dangerous and unhealthy is the current model for the way we raise boys. Oh my God. I mean, this is this is profound. It is. So in answer to your earlier question, Misty, I think only a uh non-man could write this because of the 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 gendered toxic masculinity. In order to call out this, uh, a man would have to disavow his masculinity. And I I don't know that men would hear it. It's almost like someone who is not a man can be a more impartial bystander, like a more neutral observer of what's going on and, and maybe looking at the facts. Sadly, yeah. Yeah, really sadly. She says, Um, A rigid adherence to an idealized masculinity is directly correlated with lower well-being for men. Research has shown that men who have a fear of showing emotions also happen to display the most violent behavior. Men who identify most strongly with the conventional masculinity show greater interpersonal problems in their relationships than men who don't. They're also more likely to sexually harass women. When half the population gets trained to block emotions, they lose the ability for compassion. 
And because it has been left unchecked and omnipresent, she says, this archaic ideology has been absorbed and encoded into every institution. We have state-sponsored gender roles where policy dictates what men and boys can do, practically erasing the opportunity to know their true tendencies, proclivities, or desires. For instance, when President then-candidate Donald Trump proudly presented a drastic new proposal for family leave, the policy made no mention of fathers. In fact, it excluded men entirely. That's insane. And then Misty, she goes on and gives some frightening information about how it's like big business for gendered teaching. So there's these organizations that are in business to train teachers how to teach sex specifically, like discriminatively, and they're making money doing it. And it's disgusting. I can't even get into it. And they're saying like, here's how all girls learn or here's here's how all boys learn. Yep. Um, At every level from like primary all the way up to collegiate. I want to find out the names of these companies and fucking. It's in this book. Infiltrate. It's huge business. Well, she says I'm going to infiltrate them and take them down from the inside. And you know, you know what else this reminds me of. Mm. Um, For those of you who are newer listeners, we have quite a backlog. And we interviewed the most wonderful author, Gemma Hartley, for her book, Fed Up. Um, We also read her viral Harper's Bazaar article um, called Women Aren't Nags, They're Just Fed Up um, in a minisode. And something Gemma talks about is that the mental load, which is, you know, part of this larger system that I'm sure, you know, that that you're starting to address in this book, um, when women pass away, when women do most of the mental load, you know, for the entirety of a relationship or a marriage, and then they pass away, oftentimes she cites research in her book that um, men, men's quality of life goes wildly down because they have not learned how to maintain mm-hmm. relationships, how to send the birthday card, how to build a community Mm-hmm. You know, she and talks about that in here too. Yeah. yeah, so it's 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 it matters in the long yeah. run. Short run. She says we're still in the introduction. This is this is. I love it. She lays it out for the introduction because it's already so good. <laughs> I know, right? She says mix an inability to cope with emotions with a reluctance to seek help, and you have the perfect and lethal mix for a mental health crisis. The way we raise boys and men is a recipe for disaster and a disaster it has become. Not all emotionally stunted men go on to do bad things, but the men who go on to commit crimes often have difficulty coping with emotions and a reluctance to ask for help. After all, it makes sense. Men don't have the tools to deal with something they're not supposed to feel in the first place. Right. I thought that was really profound. Right. It's really made me feel... This book made me have a lot more empathy and compassion for, and and I I feel like if you've been listening, if you're a longtime loyal listener, you've you've heard kind of this awakening that I've had and this feeling that we're all victims of patriarchy, whether we're male or female. Some of us are victims at a greater level, right? Like Mm -hmm. obviously, women of color are. victims of patriarchy greater than, than white men, but we're all victims of it in that sense. So here's where, here's, here's where I think that this is incredible. And this book needed to be written from this perspective. She says, um, so this unexamined method for raising boys and men is now a mental health crisis and female partners are the first line of defense. And that's dangerous for women. 
Mm-hmm. So, yes. holy shit. So, addressing toxic masculinity is a feminist issue. It is. And I, it's, it's great that you said that because this whole time I've been trying to remember the saying, it's like women's issues are men's issues. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So she says, toxic masculinity turns men into a threat to women. Men's violence against women is a worldwide epidemic because no country, community, or society has found a way to stamp it out. For many women across the world, the men in their lives are the biggest threat to them. Male partners are the second leading cause of death for pregnant women in the United States. For pregnant women? Every single day, three men will end up killing their girlfriend, wife, or ex. Nearly half of all women who end up murdered are killed by a current or former romantic partner, and 98% of those partners are male. Misty's mouth is ajar. Uh, Homicide, Uh, primarily carried out by men, is one of the top leading causes of death for women under 45. In the first nine months of 2018, there are three mass shootings in Texas, all motivated by and targeting a woman who rejected the shooter's advances. One researcher who examined 15 school shootings between 95 and 2001 found that romantic rejection was one of the most common features in gun-related incidents. Again, Mm -hmm. it's this men don't have the tools to deal with something they're not supposed to feel in the first place. Yeah. Right? And I'm... I'm going to try and make a, uh, a relation to what's going on currently in the world. Yeah. I think a lot of us are experiencing th- things right now that we've, we're all experiencing something we've never experienced before. Um, and I have a lot of tools for coping uh, mm-hmm. with certain things. And I find that in this time I am having feelings and anxiety and um, trouble handling the sheer terror, you know, of this situation. And I am surprised by the ways I'm acting and reacting. And I can only imagine, uh, my point is that gives me sympathy for anyone who's suddenly feeling a lot of emotions that they don't know how to handle. Well, they said that one of the un, 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 like sad consequences of this and any quarantine is that domestic violence and child abuse goes up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, about those um, mass shootings, yeah. she said righteous retaliation is a deeply held, almost sacred tenant of masculinity. If you're aggrieved, you're entitled to retribution. American men don't just get mad, we get even. She also Mm -hmm. does a great job connecting toxic masculinity to white male mass shooters. And the gun violence statistics with men are shocking. I won't go into it here. It's incredible. Please read it. Um, Also, toxic definitions of masculinity also make it harder for men to develop and maintain simple relationships like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. If you aren't trained to understand your own emotions, it's fairly predictable you'll have difficulty understanding emotions of others. So Dr. John M. Gottman, one of the world's foremost experts on relationships, has found that a man being emotionally intelligent is one of the greatest predictors of a successful romantic relationship. Wow. Emotionally intelligent. Yeah, she also makes a great case and connection for how violence from white men is different from men of color. Such a great read. She is intersectional throughout this entire book from start to finish, and I love it. Can you give us one example of what you mean or how it's different? Um, 
Well, I mean, I think we see it all the time when a white man is a mass shooter, he's a lone wolf, when a man of color, oh, yeah. a Muslim mm-hmm. man is immediately a terrorist, right? He's a terrorist, right, um, right, right, right. And then she right. says, the most important question is, where is the version of a feminist movement but for men? What is well, it? yeah. I, it's correct, but I think every time, you know, I, I think very much in recent years, whenever a, a white straight man stands up and says, well, I have something to say, we go, mm-mm. It's not your time anymore. It's not, we don't want to hear it. Yes. Well, so it's, I think this is why this book had to be written from her. She also is um, a a bisexual. So I think it's like interesting perspective. She's dated both men and women. And so she has a really, she makes a case for it later in the book. She says, what if we wrote a different script for men? How could we better prevent our world's darkest problems if we address the link between men's isolation and their disproportionate radicalization? If we viewed their violent outbursts as a weakness rather than a strength, perhaps we'd properly pathologize rather than normalize the (laughs) astronomical amount of male violence across the world. Our toxic definition of masculinity presents itself in not so subtle ways. It presents itself in the election of an alleged sexual abuser to the highest office of the U.S. government. Oh my God. And even the planet is dying from toxic masculinity. There is a recycling gender gap because men view eco-friendly behaviors, they associate it with femininity. It's not that they don't care about the planet. It's just that they care about threats to their masculinity more. And to that what I is, say, why, elect why? more fucking women. Uh, absolutely elect so many more women (laughs) we roll we do a good job we're very detail-oriented and thorough and we consider people's feelings but lisa like why why what is wrong with being feminine what is wrong with being empathetic like why is there this divide well it's hard for you to ask that because that is something that is associated with your gender and is associated as a positive thing with your gender. And you have never not also- known, right? And we'll yeah. talk about as we get in and as we'll talk about as we get in why that's difficult for you to comprehend. Okay, but at some at some point some arbitrary distinctions were made and this is how men yes. who are born with a penis should act and this is how people who are born with not a penis yes. should ask. And even act. men who are not born with a penis, but now identify as men still feel this pressure. Right, 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 right. So she says there is one factor that seems to help and it's gender equality. So, and that, that's at the end of the book too. So she says, um, I want to make it clear that talking about masculinity is not a distraction from the problems of women. Rather, it's the most effective way to properly address them. The biggest lie is that the fight to address male suffering is separate or at odds with the battle to liberate women. We all experience gender. We are all limited by oppressive gender stereotypes. We must transcend the myth of the gender war. We're on the same team. I love that. Fuck, yeah. I love that so much. So that's just the introduction, and I was like, I'm oh here for this God. bitch 100%. Already, though. Already. I feel like Part I have one, to work. I know. The lies we tell about men. And then she gives a quick crash course in gender, which is fascinating. I'm just going to do a very small smattering of things so that we're just kind of all on the same page. Yeah. And a lot of us know this, but in case you don't, here we go. Although sex and gender are often used interchangeably, they're not exactly the same. While sex is determined by our bodies, gender is a social construction. 
The most repeated myth about gender, which has wide-ranging impacts for all of us, is that it's fixed, binary, and purely rooted in biology. She says, it's actually not. When someone's gender identity and their sex align, they're cisgender. When gender identity and sex don't connect, that person can identify in a number of ways, one of which is transgender, and they may or may not seek to transition. Although there's a greater appreciation for gender being a spectrum, that progress is often derailed by people arguing that our gender identities should be simply defined by our sex. Unfortunately for those people, it's becoming clearer and clearer that sex is not binary either. Mm -hmm. To put it simply, science doesn't confirm that there are only two sexes. And she says, in this book, I am not advocating or supporting a gender binary, but am rather interested in assessing the damage that occurs in the process of raising men and boys in a society that imposes it. Yes. Wow. So chapter one. I love that distinction. Yes, you are not born a man. She says, after trying to interview several men, I realized that masculinity was something you did not, uh, was not, was something you did, not something you talked about. So mm-hmm. she and her good friend, Esther Perel, who wrote <gasps> Oh my God, they're friends. They're no, friends. I can't. I can't, I can't handle what the dinner conversation must be like. I cannot, what are their text messages like? <laughs> oh like my ours. God. So oh, yeah, they, right, set up a booth. they set up a table, that's right, and they offered free <laughs> advice to men in Washington Square Park in New York City. But of the men that came up, none of them, they rarely asked questions. What she discovered, she says, none of them really felt like, quote, real men. And she says, it wasn't just the men I spoke to. She says, this phenomenon is supported by what sociologists call, quote, precarious manhood. What this theory boils down to is that masculinity needs to be constantly proved while womanhood is more static or fixed. Women have more permission to drift away from traditional feminine norms. Men can't do that with as much flexibility. So there is no equivalent expression of real man for women. It is. It's very limiting. There's no equivalent expression of, quote, real man for women. While womanhood is acquired or lost through biology changes, manhood can Mm -hmm. be gained and lost through social acts while we still recognize that gender is a social construct. So there's no word for emasculating for women or sissy for women. Men's masculinity is predicated on the rejection of the feminine in all societies. That's why you it's you, you cannot ask this question, right? Of like, what's wrong with empathizing? Because your gender allows you to fluidly move in and out of it. And the things that are associated with the feminine are valued for you. Whereas for right. a gendered in a gendered construct for a man, things that are associated with the feminine, it is dangerous at times for them to engage in that behavior. Well, and think think about the inherent danger in what you just said, mm-hmm. which is masculinity is proven by rejecting the feminine. Yeah. Which means I imagine it's predicated on that. Like it's it's, not even proven; it is based on it. That is the that is the which is insane. So it's it's it just sets up violence in its fucking definition. It does, and also it's really sad when you think that women, in the terms of gender constructs, have a lot more flexibility. We are free to move in and out of our gender um, more. We can wear pants; they cannot wear dresses. Um, right. You know, there's a lot that we can do 
that they cannot. Now, That's we always didn't have so that, but it's very interesting. interesting to think about. I had a lot, this is what I mean, I had a lot more sympathy for victims of the patriarchy that are not um, obvious victims of the patriarchy. Okay. Yes. No, this is really, this is really it's blowing your mind. Just so you guys yeah. know, Missy's hands are like on her forehead. And she's Again, like, I'll remind you all, I'm in a dark closet, day 15 of isolation. I'm so like, I have deconstructed my couch cushions and put them all around me to try and help with sound. And I am just rubbing my forehead in wide eyes, it's listening to everything. Lisa Chapter same. two, manhood is never fully earned and needs to be renewed over and over again. So there was this study um, where these men uh, did like a hand grip where they, um, you know, like pulled, you know, one of those like, old school hand grips. Right, where and, like squeezed something as yes. hard as they could. Okay. They were told whether or not they did um, average or above average or like if they did better or worse. Uh-oh. When they were told they did worse, they lied about something that was verifiable, i.e. their height. When they were told that they did not do as well as other men in squeezing the hand grip, they overstated their height. <laughs> just, so they so basically they tried to s- make up for the quote unquote yeah. loss in another area. Yeah, and this yeah. was consistent yeah. across the board, which is like that's something that somebody could easily verify. And as somebody who has been on a dating <sighs> app who is five nine and a half herself, I can tell you, a man who says he's five ten on a dating app is, is five nine. Pushing yeah. Five, oh no! Anybody that says they're six foot is between five ten and five eleven. I also like yeah, if somebody's like, "Oh, I'm six three, I'm like, "Oh, I believe you there." Five eleven like, and a half his whole life, and so like it was crazy for him. You know what I mean? But okay, there's another study that shows men <laughs> who are around women eat ninety three percent more pizza than when they are alone. No. Yes. <laughs> No. Yes. No. Yes, they consume ninety three more percent. What are you trying to prove, Bob? What's up, Roger? Why? Listen, have you ever have you ever looked at a man who's triple fisting in all three of his fists pieces of pizza? And while thought, gripping it, while man, squeezing he can a really hand put it down. Yeah, well, he can really put it down. <laughs> so this this doctor who had done these um, studies said. Men have a lot of power in our society, and what this study shows is that some decisions can be influenced by how they're feeling about their masculinity in the moment. Oh, shit. Yeah. So while women's femininity can't be taken away so swiftly, and they are largely given permission to transgress, like I said, mm-hmm. we can wear pants, we can wear shorts, we can be tomboys, men don't have that luxury. But of course, the latitude to transgress applies to different groups of women unevenly. She says, straight, thin, white, cisgender, able-bodied women have more flexibility than women whose identities don't fit into those boxes. Yeah, And again, I just, she's great about being inclusive and explains throughout the book how it is different for men, for women. You know, she's, the whole book, she's really great about that. Okay, chapter three. I love her. I know, I love her. Masculinity is under attack. <laughs> Each of these chapters is so chock full of so much information. I'm just highlighting and picking little bits for you guys. But and and I know that I know this is like the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And exactly. yet it's so it's already a lot of helpful reframes for me. Yeah. And I have my minor, I have my minor in women's studies, and we yeah. we don't 
talk about this. There's no boys studies. I mean, you know? well, we kind of assume that like everything is man, you know, like everything is men's oh, studies. They've got most, it easy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. Like, most medical research is done predominantly on men. Like, so kind of everything is framed in that construct, but you're right. We don't study how how they gender as a social construct for men is damaging i mean you know they they've got a lot of privilege they're the ruling gender yeah you know you know but yeah so then she then she talks about how a lot of people feel masculinity is under attack so you'll hear this a lot from the conservative right from the alt-right and she Mm -hmm. calls out self-help in particular so this guy named jordan peterson he's a clinical psychologist and professor of psychology he became a best-selling author after publishing a book called 12 rules for life. I have this book in my Kindle. I cannot get through the introduction. And now I know why. why? In the book, as well as in online lectures, Peterson hands out advice like, quote, say only those things that make you strong and instructs each member of his primarily young male audience to stop being a, quote, girly man. Peterson glorifies, Peterson glorifies men who display aggressive behavior, arguing, quote, the best men I've ever met are very dangerous. Peterson is opposed to encouraging men to practice more empathy, saying, quote, there's nothing more horrible for children and developing people than an excess of compassion. But what does, is the fuck <laughs> is he talking about? But the but he does argue that women should have compassion for men they don't want to have sex with and that having sex with those men could prevent national tragedies. Hey, this guy can go uh, fuck himself. I am Who so is this guy? His name is Jordan Peterson. And currently his book is Amazon's most read and most sold nonfiction book, which makes him one of the most read Canadian Dangerous men out there. Liz Plank is also Canadian. So I understand, I just feel like it was grace by the grace of God that I found his introduction so boring and so stilted and he was so full of himself that I couldn't keep reading. Yeah. And can I just say as a a person who's half Canadian and holds citizenship in both countries, he can go fuck himself. I fucking forget that. He can go fuck himself. Maybe I should write, maybe I should write, what's his name? Jordan Peterson. Maybe I should write, Hey, Jordan Peterson, go fuck yourself on a maple leaf and I should mail it to him. What do you think? Do you want him to fuck himself on top of a maple leaf, or that's what you're mailing? That's your missive. Yeah, that's missive what I'm mailing. Yeah, okay, I got it. yeah, yeah. Anyone who <laughs> lives in a um, a part of a part of America <laughs> that has maple trees in the fall, mail me some crisp, crisp ones, big ones, so I can write it in big, bold, all caps letters. I love you. Um, <laughs> well, remember that your prime minister is not anything like Jordan Peterson. Oh, Justin Trudeau's not a perfect man, but I like him. Yeah, he's he tries to be a feminist. Listen. Okay, here we go. She says, the message that these men seem to be absorbing, the men who read this book, is that if marginalized groups have more rights, they will have fewer, which is, of course, not at all how human rights work. Yeah, it's there's, nothing not, new. there's not a certain number of rights no. to go around. That's right. It's, it's infinite rights. That's right. And this bill of goods it's selling is a short-term fix for men. The more nuanced and time-consuming project of challenging the system requires more energy, but it also reaps more rewards, she says. Mm -hmm. She says, also, although most of the feminist criticism around this masculinity moral panic is that it's insulting to women, I would argue it's just as insulting to men because it's rooted in a deep-seated lie about men that they have no agency over their attitudes and behaviors. I thought was really um, an interesting take on it by saying like, 
you know, but I, men are men. They are boys will be boys. It's like, oh, you're just yeah, telling. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. no, they're just so driven by whatever drive. And it's like, you take away their humanity and their decision making right. facilities. You know what, Lisa, I think yeah. we should just take our time on this and make this a two-parter. Good. Cause it's hard to go through this really fast. <laughs> And when I tell you that I exported it in my highlights from my Kindle, like 2% of the book, I'm not joking. Um, wait, so you mean to tell me that you are unable to deconstruct a thousands-year-old um, damaging, intricate system in less than an hour in a comedic way on a podcast? And neither is Liz What's Plank. What's wrong with you? And neither is Liz Plank. I mean, part of, I will say part of like, my challenge and what I struggled with in this book is that she, she tries to eat the whole elephant, you know, but, um, I've never heard that phrase and I fucking love it. <laughs> oh, when you, people say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Like, like remember yeah. we talked about that once with your guy who ate the plane, right? Oh yeah. I was just about to say that guy who like ground up a plane and I can't, yeah, why he did do die. that? But, um, <laughs> he did die from doing that. But, uh, you know, she does, it's, it feels, it's, it doesn't feel like a buckshot because each it is kind of in buckets, but it does feel like an iceberg coming at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so I am covering like 2% of this, 2%. And she that, does it very, that's okay. very well. Yeah. When you feel like it's a good cliffhanger for us to end on. <laughs> okay. Good. Leave us, I'll leave cover, us wanting um, more. I will cover... I think I can get to the end of part one. Does that sound good? <laughs> it's just three more chapters. And everyone, uh, please join us again for this 10-part series on For the Love of Men. No, Thank you for tuning parts, in. Two parts in the conclusion. Oh, it's two parts. For some reason, I thought it was four. Okay. No. Um, so we're just going to do chapters four, five, and six. and then we'll, I love we'll it. Play. I love okay. it. Chapter four, men are slaves to their bodies and their nether regions. I'll say. Okay. Um, which sometimes it always creeps me out that when I think about the fact that like we have eggs in our body, which yeah. can be fertilized and turn into a baby, but like men have living things in their scrotum that are just like <laughs> things. That Lisa's have, like, face a, just now is fucking amazing. And, like, and a plan. And Do you like, know what okay, I mean? let me say one more thing that's going to blow your mind. My oh, friend bad. Fiona and I were having lunch when she was pregnant with her daughter Margot, and mm-hmm. she was like seven months pregnant. It was it was beautiful, and she looked at me, and we're talking about how crazy the female body is, and she goes, "Misty, I have all of my grandchildren inside of me right now." Because I know Lisa's face, Lisa's face is shell shocked because she was carrying this baby and this baby was big enough to have all of her eggs. So all of the grandchildren Fiona's ever going to get from Margot was inside of her. <laughs> That's an inception. I just lost my mind. Okay. My brain matter is on the back of my couch. Keep talking Thank about testicles. Keep talking about testicles. Okay. Okay. So men are slaves to their bodies in their nether regions. Um, it was coined and discovered by Janet Shibley Hyde when she performed a review of 46 meta-analyses of peer-reviewed studies that examined sex differences. It's also what I like to do on the weekends. Thank you. 
After closely studying (laughs) dozens of research papers, she found that when it comes to psychological characteristics, women and men are more alike than they are different over the entire course of their lifetime. Yeah. That's look, here's the thing. We are humans. Yeah, yeah. We're humans. Our, uh, there are biological processes that differ, and our minds as human beings clearly differ, but, but we, we all, all have the same, same needs. Thank we you. We all poop into our hand and then leave it in the corner for Missy. But it's how, Emily, that's, that's a specific thing Lisa does and a few longtime loyal listeners who I will not name, but... It's like Emily Nagoski says, all the same parts organized in different ways. That's right. So she has this great write-up on testosterone. It's like pages long. That's amazing. But that it gets a bad rap and it's blamed for like all of social, all the social ills, including right. that men are predisposed to be violent and that it is used to explain rape. But she says very little data actually shows that violence against women has anything to do with testosterone. Sex offenders don't have higher levels of testosterone than men who aren't, and there's no evidence showing that rapists who are castrated have lower sexual recidivism rates. To be clear, though, there is a link between violence and testosterone. But while scientists have tried to find a causal link between testosterone and violent behavior, their their results suggest that testosterone is not the cause of violence, but it can be the result of it. Oh, really? So violence can trigger testosterone. Holy shit. And well, and it's also kind of like the chicken or the egg. Like if you are born in a male body or identify as male, chances are you have more testosterone than your female identifying counterparts, which means you receive messaging that is limiting, that limits your ability to cope and express your feelings and therefore leads to more violence. Yeah. Chapter, uh, that chapter is, is just like, bursting with information about testosterone and male chemistry and violence and the research and just there's more than you ever knew existed. Chapter five, men don't need intimacy. She says another dangerous common gender stereotype is that women crave intimacy and men just want sex. Mm -hmm. And it leads to two kinds of shaming behaviors. Women are shamed for wanting sex and men are shamed for asking for intimacy. And, you know, sex and intimacy are both essential parts of the human experience. So the way society, this is when she said this, I was like, yes, the way society controls women's bodies and female sexuality is widely documented and difficult to refute from the Salem witch trials to chastity belts and promise rings to male politicians curbing access to abortion and access to birth control. It's not shocking that women have developed a discomfort around asking for sex. But on the other side of that coin and somewhat less widely discussed, she says, is how men frequently feel uncomfortable asking for affection. In other words, Mm. she suppresses her own needs because she's taught that the needs of others are more important. He suppresses his needs because he's taught he doesn't have any. Oh my God. And then nobody's getting their needs met and we're all mad at each other and just eating cookie dough straight from the tub. Not mad at it. Okay. (laughs) Chapter six, last chapter of this part. Male shame. What's it like to feel like you need to prove something you never quite feel like you have? She says, when the expectations set by society for men are rooted in lies, it creates expectations they can't fulfill, obviously, right? She says, through my conversations with men, it became clear that the most common consequence that all masculinity myths share could be summed up in one word, shame. The best way for me to put it, she says, is that traditional masculinity creates a male shame spiral. 
And that this idea that masculinity mysteriously strips away the basic human need for vulnerability, closeness, intimacy, and connection is not only untrue, she says it also leads to an internalization of shame when men have those needs and an inability to properly manage them, which is going to be like Mm -hmm. what every person, right? Yeah. She says this means that some of the aggression we associate with men uh, may not be due to their nature. It's due to the way that we raise them. The patriarchy doesn't just convince men that they don't have emotional needs. It also leads men to feel embarrassed when those needs naturally occur, which leads those feelings to come out in other less productive ways. Masculinity under its current definition is antithetical to vulnerability, the element that Brene Brown says is essential to a functioning and successful relationship. Because men can't show vulnerability, they can struggle to develop healthy relationships with themselves or others. She also has this great connection with male shame and homelessness. It's fascinating. Oh, That's really? That's the end of part one. Mm-hmm. Wow, and, Lisa, um, thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's as you can see, it's fascinating and it's, it's, it's critical the way that she's talking about it. Yeah, it sounds like absolutely essential reading. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. This was great. I'm going to save the normal Q and a stuff for um, part two and everybody, um, join us next week for more talk about boys. (laughs) I'll be in this closet until then with that, with that. (laughs) Go help yourself. A comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know, you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.